0: You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene
1: Steinberg. As you know, folks, before we begin an episode of the Paracast, we have a little conversation with our guest, this week, prolific UFO researcher and author Stan Gordon, who operates out of western Pennsylvania, our special guest co-host is Tim Swartz. And something occurred to me just before we began. I said, Do you remember which comedian said, Hello, Dad? I think Stan's old enough to have remembered him, and probably Tim Swartz. Turns out to be someone named Marty Allen, who's managed to live to the right old age of 96. Isn't it interesting, though, that comedians, many, not all, but many comedians, live to very old ages? Which is surprising
2: considering the lifestyle that a lot of them probably will lead.
1: Yeah, I would think that can be kind of goofy. Anyway, <laughs> let's not talk about how long comedians live. Because we assume E.T. lives forever, right? Stan, you've covered so many different areas of research around your locale. Have you ever looked into Skinwalker Ranch?
3: Well, I, I have not been out there investigating it, but I've been uh, monitoring the interesting information concerning it since it's time to start breaking on the news and the reason i was so interested is because there were a lot of similarities of what was taking place out in utah and when i had investigated back in the 1970s here in pennsylvania and those type of incidents are continuing to happen here in pennsylvania of course it Many people are aware of Skinwalker Ranch, but for years and years now, there's other similar locations across the country and, and a number of them here in Pennsylvania where similar type of anomalies are taking place. And this is something I've been looking into for quite a while now.
1: The reason I mention it is, let's give a counterpoint here, Stan. We had Erica Lukes, researcher from Utah, on the show a couple of weeks back. And she thinks that Skinwalker Ranch is a load of bunk it's also true that bigelow sold the property robert bigelow in 2016 and the new owners appear to be converting it to some kind of tourist place what's your feeling
3: well again i i'm not involved in that i'm not aware of what's going on concerning that all i'm aware of is what the reports that came out of there what was published and I was really, really interested because there there were such similarities in some of the things that were going on here, and they're still going on, and again, it's not just in Pennsylvania. I mean, I've been in touch for years with other researchers around the country and witnesses, and the same kind of very, very strange cases that I've been looking into here have been going on around the country for years and years. And in fact, uh, as you recall, you know, I was publishing some of my findings back in the 1970s about some of the very strange incidents, some of these we can talk about again. It was so strange and so unusual and something I had no idea that my the trail investigation I was doing was going to lead me to that path because, one, dealing with, with the Bigfoot uh, cases – From the time I got involved, you know, I've been doing this now, well, this year, Mark, uh, going on 63 years of research. I've never seen a UFO or a Bigfoot. I've seen a lot of evidence. Uh, I think I was pretty close to Bigfoot, more than one occasion. I never got to see it. But when all these things were occurring here in Pennsylvania in the 70s, well, I had already been looking to Bigfoot cases prior to that going back to the 1960s. I've been out in the field since 1965 uh, after the Kecksburg incident. And what I knew about Bigfoot, at that point, I was pretty much convinced that we're dealing with some type of unusual, unknown animal. But as these cases were unfolding in the early 70s, I began to see some very interesting patterns and very interesting similarities to what witnesses are telling us. And you've got to remember, especially back in those days, that communication was different. People... Uh, didn't know about a lot of the other things going on in other areas, a lot of the reports coming in initially at time would come into the the police departments or the news media and Interestingly, quite often they'd be referred over to my research group to investigate here in Pennsylvania. So we're out there. I mean, we had te- I had teams of scientists and engineers and police officers, and former military people, all volunteering their jobs around our full time jobs to go out to investigate cases. And I had it set up that we would respond to cases quite often within minutes to hours after they occurred, which is why we were able to document them so quickly. And some very unusual things turned up in, well, let me tell you, 1972, this is when I first began those things, in a wooded area, actually several miles away from where I live outside of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, people who had lived along this large wood area for years, nothing had happened, and suddenly, I began to get reports from various property owners out there independently, began to report strange screams and cries from the woods. They're seeing strange lights in the sky. They're seeing small, little spherical objects close to their home. They're seeing strange footprints. They're seeing, in one case, people saw this tall, very broad-shouldered creature chasing two dogs through the woods. They're finding strange footprints on the steps of their homes out in the woods. And this went on for quite a while. That's when I first began to notice something strange. And then, of course, 1973 comes around And um, that was that major, biggest outbreak that's ever been documented here that occurred in Pennsylvania. That started actually January 1st of 1973 and continued to the last day of the year, basically, with UFO sightings. And hundreds and hundreds of UFO reports coming in. And the local media, the local newspapers, the statewide newspapers, and even some nation, national news picked up some of the accounts. And this was going on, I mean, for months and months. And many of these UFO sightings, these were not high altitude, just lights in the sky zigzagging around. Many of these reports were large, solid objects low to the ground. So we had objects hovering over highways, pacing cars, there were landing reports. I mean, it was just an amazing time. So all that's interesting in itself. I mean, we were just so busy trying to keep up with UFO reports. And then the summer of 73 is when we have this biggest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings ever documented. And that went on for months until 74. And so many of those Bigfoot sightings... They were not something that somebody just saw in the dark, a half a mile away, seeing the shadow. Many of these were extremely close-range sightings. I'm talking, some cases, 5, 10, 20 feet away from witnesses in daylight. Just amazing reports. And, I mean, again, we can go into great detail uh, with some of these cases if you want to.
1: Well, we certainly will as we progress here. One question, though, before we get on. Obviously, 1947 1952 even 1973 big peaks of ufo activity low-level ufo sightings aren't we seeing the same type of phenomena in recent years
3: yeah um here in pennsylvania cases i've been investigating been extremely interesting reports even in the last few weeks and um you know again uh probably 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, some real interesting cases. Every year reports are coming that are very interesting, but you know what I call the classic UFO cases, especially the 50s and the 60s, of large, what appear to be solid metallic objects, quite often close to the ground. Back in the 60s, as I recall, especially cases case I was investigating, it was a whole series of sightings of very large, solid objects, very low, in fact, low enough that many people reporting like portals or windows in the object. Some were very low that people swear they saw uh, humanoid figures inside, and uh, so those cases were really intriguing. And it, it, I'm trying to—I th- lost myself in time. I've been involved in this so many years, but I say probably in the last. 20-some years, you didn't hear as much about those low-level, close-range sightings, but they have been occurring, and in more recent years, they're occurring again more and more often. And and what's really interesting is that, uh, again, last few years in Pennsylvania has been very steady with reports. Reports have been coming in here all year round, every year. Last year, 2021, very active. Reports came in every month of the year, all year round, and... I'm sure you probably know that generally on an annual basis, UFO reports start to slow down a little in um, fall and winter months when the weather's starting to get colder and snowing out around this area. But that's not what happened last year.
1: Let's find out more about that in a moment. We have Stan Gordon. We have Tim Swartz. We have Gene Steinberg. You're in the (laughs) Paracast.
6: There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally, and it's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG.
7: Did you get a call or message that mentioned Social Security that made you feel threatened or scared? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, press you for personal information, or demand instant payment. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Don't fall for it. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to oig.ssa.gov.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: As we continue with Stan Gordon explaining that we had fewer sightings normally in the fall and winter months, but not this past year, you said, Stan? Stan?
3: Yeah, it's got extremely interesting. While there were continuous reports again all year, in about October, we began to have a, a surge of reports of low-level UFO cases coming in from uh, different areas across the state. A lot of them here in southwest Pennsylvania, for whatever reason. And it started early in October. It continued... Through the end of last year, continued right into January of this year, and it's been continuous. I mean, this time of the year, January, February, March, now May, June, when weather gets better, we start to get more reports again. But it, that's not been the case. It's just been constantly all through this year, even in the cold spells. I mean, there's lots of reports. I'll be I'll glad to go over some of the reports if you'd like to hear them.
1: I'd like a focus on the low-level sightings, if we have any at all. You said it's not quite as many as the earlier years?
3: I mean, when you, there is some, a pretty good number of reports uh, from the last few months. Uh, just to give you an idea, I'll give you just a, a synopsis of some of these reports. Stop me if you need to, because I'm just going off uh, from my file here, because there are so many of uh, interesting cases, just again from this year. I should say the up from October last year and through this year. So let's look at... Uh, Early October, near Apollo, PA, a huge wingless object with red lights at the bottom, non-flashing, observed during the evening. The only sound it was making was the sound of something large moving through the air. Six smaller objects followed the larger object, and they began to circle it. They were basically one bright light, non-flashing. They moved ahead of the larger object. They continued on beyond the trees. Then the main object followed behind them and continued out over the trees in the afternoon, said daylight, October 24th. This is a busy highway, Route 119. This is between Scottsdale and Mount Pleasant in Westmoreland County. Man, businessman, interviewed him, uh, very credible. It's a cloudy, overcast afternoon. He notices the sky, again, it's very gray, but what he noticed as he's riding down the road, he sees this round gray cloud that was lighter in color than the surrounding clouds. It looks about as big as a school bus in the sky, and what was so unusual was, he noticed right in front of him, several cars all hit their brakes at the same time, apparently seeing what he's seeing. So he sees this large, unusual-looking cloud, but this cloud is making erratic movements, like moving right and left, up and down across the sky. And he said it was like a school of fish, with a leading fish leading these fish across the sky. It was only about three to 400 feet uh, in the sky, below the cloud level, he saw for about 10 to 15 seconds, didn't have time to even grab a cell phone, he had to pass under the overpass, and it was beginning to fade away and suddenly disappear, and when he came out, it was gone. Uh, here's an interesting one because this will, this is kind of a association with some of the other very strange things we've talked about in the past and occurring. So this came from Dan Hagman from the uh, BORU research group up in Butler County and this was the end of October. So this is near the town of Meridian and he had a witness, a person reported riding down this road around dusk when this large hair covered creature a big foot type creature, about seven feet tall, walks up, walking upright, moved very fast, moved to the right. It was hairy, muddy, and had dirty matted hair, and it ran down the road into the woods. Within the hour, in the same general area, he began to receive reports from other people who reported observing this exceptionally large triangular object about the size of three buses hovering about 100 feet above the ground. The object had a light in each corner. The object made no sound, but this is important. Remind me to tell you about this again later. The witnesses reported feeling a static electric charge while it was being observed. That's really interesting. I'll tell you why a little later. And I'm just going down the road. Here's another report of a of a large bright white object uh, near Norvelt, West Warren County, and that evening man saw this thing on a back road, began to follow it. He said it was about as big as a house in the sky. He did get a couple of pictures of it. There's a picture of it on my website. Not great, but it's definitely something there. So I'm going to continue down here. And this is a real interesting report in November. This is Fayette County. You'll hear me talk about Fayette County a lot. We have in the past. Fayette County, sections of it along the Chestnut Ridge. The Chestnut Ridge is out in mountain range. It extends through Westmoreland, Fayette, and Indiana County in southwest Pennsylvania. extends down to outside of uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, into Preston County. That is probably one of the most active areas in the country for repeated anomalies year after year, including this year. And we have UFO sightings, Bigfoot, Thunderbirds, Black Panthers, other cryptids, underground sounds, mystery booms, just go on and on and on along the sections of the ridge, especially in West Morafea County. So anyhow, this particular case, a person's riding down the road that evening, and about 50 yards ahead, they notice an object that appeared to be quite low to the ground. There were three lights in a rounded triangular configuration described as similar to a guitar pick in shape. The lights looked perfectly circular, were non-blinking, orange and yellow in color, about the size of large dinner plates. As the witness got closer, the silent object was off to, to the left, about 10 yards off the road. She passed below a section of the object. It was only about 30 feet above the ground. The object had her pet dog in the car at the time, and the dog was moving its head around, staring at the object, was getting upset, and the driver began to uh, comfort the dog. And when this person touched the dog at that time, she also got a static charge, which is really interesting. So within months, the point is we had three low-level UFO sightings where witnesses reported Feeling a slight static charge that they generally did not do, and by the way, that object, that triangle object, while looking solid, she's this person said it was not that big. It was only about ten feet long, about six feet wide, and again, that's just the beginning of the reports. It gets better and better. Uh, Do you want me to keep going? Do you want to ask some questions?
1: I'd like to ask one question, which always occurs to me: all these sightings, so few decent UFO photos everybody has a high quality camera in their pocket or purse right now why this problem
3: okay remind me to bring it up there's a lot involved in that in that question That of course one of the questions can be answered easily in a lot of the cases one the sightings only last for seconds the people were just like with a bigfoot sighting the people were so amazed and shocked They don't even think about it, or they don't have enough time to grab the camera. But yes, in some cases, we have gotten some pictures in the last year. And some of them are on my website, but there have been some pictures taken. Uh, But here's some other interesting little tidbits. More and more reports in recent years of people who are watching something strange in the sky. And again, it's not just with UFOs. It's been with Bigfoot and some other cryptid cases. And this is really interesting. This is one of the things I've been looking into much deeper. People have attempted to take pictures with their cameras. So most of the cameras now, of course, are are phone cameras. But previous to this, many of them were just the independent digital cameras. And people have continued to report that... They attempt to take these pictures, and when they do, at that time, the camera malfunctions unexplainably. It had worked fine. Previous to that, the batteries were fully charged, and when they tried to take a picture, the camera would not properly function, and right afterwards, it was fine.
1: We'll go more into this and all those many, many strange sightings. With Stan and Gene and Tim, you're in... the PuraCast.
2: <laughs>
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
9: You trust your mother, right? She's always taken care of you and always tried to give you good advice when you ask for it. And sometimes even when you don't. Well, even though she might not mention it, mom very likely has neck, back, and shoulder pains. And she needs relief. So trust this good advice. Give back to Mom this Mother's Day with quality products from Sunny Bay. Like our disposable heat patches. They're back in stock now and target neck and shoulder pain in adults of all ages, or our extra-long neck heating pads. They provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs mom can heat them in her microwave and they come in a variety of colors and patterns read our trusted authentic and real reviews on amazon when you search sunny bay heating wraps and shop now in time for mother's day there's no shipping delays from sunny bay find us on amazon walmart etsy and sunny-bay.com remember just search for sunny bay neck wraps order now because stock is high and shipping is fast from sunny bay
2: MSA Radio News
10: with Kenneth Burns. Ukrainian and Russian officials say all women, children, and elderly people have been evacuated from the Avostal steel plant in Mariupol. Hundreds of civilians were trapped for weeks at the sprawling plant amid a tense Russian attack. Ukrainian fighters remained holed up at the complex. The Kremlin is still trying to capture the plant, where the last liver of resistance remains in the southern port city. Elsewhere, a spokesman for the Ukrainian military says they've regained control of a town about 12 miles northeast of Kharkiv. The spokesman said in a YouTube video that Russia continues to conduct a full-scale attack against Ukraine in hopes of establishing full control of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. First Lady Joe Biden says she remains concerned about the next phases of the humanitarian crisis prompted by the war. She said as much while visiting refugee mothers and their children in Romania. This is USA Radio News. Afghanistan's Taliban rulers have ordered all Afghan women to wear head-to-toe clothing in public. The decree calls for women to only show their eyes and recommends they wear the head-to-toe burqa, evoking similar restrictions to when the Taliban last ruled the country between 1996 and 2001. It's the latest in a series of repressive edicts. The CDC is looking into the deaths of five children linked to the growing number of mysterious pediatric hepatitis cases across the country. The cases, 109 of them in 24 states and Puerto Rico, date back to October. The latest case count is a steep increase from a couple of weeks ago when only 11 cases had been identified. It prompted the CDC to issue an alert for physicians to be on the lookout for such cases. A New York court has halted the use of familial DNA searching, where a law enforcement agencies search the state's DNA data bank for close biological relatives of people who left traces of genetic material at like crime scenes.
11: You're listening to USA Radio News. Did you know that you could easily be saving up to 90% on your taxes by simply making a phone call? That's right. The Fortune 500, the globalists, all the big billionaires and millionaires—they know about the loopholes written into the law, where most of them pay almost zero tax. In fact, many of them pay no tax. You've seen it on the news. How are they able to do that? But the common person can. Dot .com that's gcn taxcut.com the only way you miss out is not making the phone call make it now
5: this is jennifer stein executive producer of the disclosure dialogues you're listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio
1: That's a common scenario that you paint, Stan Gordon. Someone tries to take a photo of something strange, and the camera goes wacky.
3: Yeah, and it's really interesting. And what I'm finding is that even in cases where people have attempted to pictures of cryptids, sometimes the camera doesn't work, but they'll go over afterwards and they not find evidence, such as a footprint or uh, some type of part print or something. And they attempt to take the picture of the evidence. And the same thing, the camera will not function properly to take the picture. But right afterwards, when they leave, the camera's working fine again. I remember years ago, and I don't remember exactly which county, but this was probably 20, 30 years ago, a police officer told me he was caught out to investigate, I believe it was a Bigfoot incident, there was some physical evidence. At the scene he had a, some special model camera. So, this is before digital cameras. It was, I believe it was probably a film camera. He said, I went out there. I checked the camera out before I left. We used it for investigating incidents. Worked fine. Went out to the scene. And I'm trying to take pictures, and the camera would not function. It would not let me take the pictures. He said, I go back to the office and check it. It's working fine. He said, I can't understand it. And then it gets even deeper and deeper, because the more I look into these incidents, that um, witnesses have encountered, again, not only the encrypteds, but UFOs. And again, as we talked in the past, these small orbs of light. Which, of course, is common at the Skinwalker Ranch and many other areas that I'm involved with, and the ongoing even recent months in Pennsylvania, where people are continually reporting what I've called mini UFOs since the 1960s. I started investigating these cases back then. These cases are continuing to occur. I think they're going on more and more, and they're they're just fascinating. I mean, this is a part of the of the UFO mystery that many people don't talk about or are not aware of, even though you're beginning to hear more and more about it now. And one area you're hearing more about it is people who are investigating Bigfoot sightings. Again, I talked about this years and years ago, and now people are beginning to, uh, I'd say, accept it more. They're talking more about it. A lot of uh, Bigfoot uh, witnesses and researchers are talking about this more now. But these mini UFOs, as I call them, what's so intriguing is they're low to the ground, they're not high in the sky. Quite often, the smallest winds are around one to two inches in diameter. They go up to about a foot, or, a foot or two in diameter. Some can be a little larger. Some of them are just bright light sources of various colors. The real small ones look like large, oversized fireflies or lightning bugs. The larger ones, again, quite often spherical, but not always spherical. Remind me to tell you about this later too. But anyhow. Sometimes it just light sources, other times they're solid and metallic. And they approach very close to people even in daylight. I mean they've been close enough to people. People can walk out, put their hands out and touch them if they wanted to. I've had them come right up to people. I've had paced vehicles moving on the road. I've had them enter moving vehicles. I've had them go into people's homes through open windows, floated around, and then went back out the windows. In some cases, it went right through the walls of the vehicle, right through the walls of the house, and we're gone. I've had them suddenly just appear inside of people's homes. It's very strange and unusual. But what's really intriguing is, is that many people around the country... In areas where we have a lot of history of Bigfoot activity, more and more people in those areas are reporting these orbs of light, again, in the trees, low to the ground, sometimes approaching them, and this has happened even in recent weeks and months here in Pennsylvania.
2: Yes, Stan, you know, I've read some researchers have speculated that somehow the Bigfoot creatures are generating uh, these lights.
3: I'm not so sure of that. I mean, again, I keep an open mind to everything. Uh, it's not common with those type of cases, but again, we don't know enough about it. There's so many different avenues to whatever we're dealing with. It's so beyond our understanding. I don't think anybody understands it. I think the government is aware of this now, too. I don't think they understand it, which is one of the reasons why there's so much secrecy. And again, you might recall probably long ago, we may have talked about this, during that 1973 wave, when I began to document all those very weird reports with Bigfoot and UFOs seen together at the same, same time and place. There was one incident uh, north of Pittsburgh, would had been September of 73, when two witnesses were out in the country waiting for a friend to pick them up when they see this large seven-eight-foot-tall Bigfoot with dirty white matted hair running across the road towards the woods, but in one of its hands it's carrying a small ball of light. And as it's running towards the woods, into the woods, this large object comes across the sky and projects a beam of light down into the woods where the creature ran into. But here's the other thing you're talking about. Why aren't people taking pictures? Well, another thing that's been showing up Again, this is very strange. But also, you know, with Bigfoot witnesses, we're hearing a lot of people talk about infrasound and the fact that and this is not common in all cases. But some people have been very close to the creature, and a lot of hunters over the years have been reporting this, again, not only in Pennsylvania, but they have this overpowering fear. That's interesting, too. But also what I'm finding is that people who are witnessing, especially the small orbs of light and the close-range cryptid encounters, I'm asking these people, you have a camera there. Why didn't you take a picture? And some of them just said, well, you know, we're just so amazed, such in shock, seeing what we're seeing, we didn't think about it. But in other cases, they're just puzzled because they don't understand why they didn't take the picture. Like there was some reason something affected them to the point that they didn't care about taking a picture. And I interviewed a person a few maybe a month or so ago, a month and a half ago now, who had a small orb hovering right outside of their bedroom window out in the country. They saw it. It was hovering right there in front of them on the other side of the window. And they're watching this thing for a while. And I said, well, did you get any pictures? They said, you know, she said, it was so strange. She said, my husband looked at it, and for whatever reason, we just went back to bed and lay down. We don't know why we didn't take pictures, but it was like something just guided us or kind of subconsciously told us not to take any pictures. And this is something that I'm hearing other cases now It's showing up. So, I mean, it's just a very strange series of events we're dealing with.
2: Talking about the uh, uh, mini UFOs, for centuries in a lot of locations, uh, there have been the spook lights. You know, I think every uh, state may have a a, a spook light. Uh, uh, Moffra, Texas is probably one of the best-known ones. What's the difference between some of these uh, mini UFOs and uh, the spook lights?
3: Again, they're not that common here in Pennsylvania. I've heard a few areas where something like this exists, but it's not like the famous ones we've heard around across across the country. I think the thing about the ones across the country is that there's something that show up regularly, almost on schedule, and again, I'm not directly involved in those. I know some of the people I understand who looked into some of those. Some of these people believe uh, that some of those incidents may have some type of scientific explanation. The the many UFOs, There's something that just suddenly occur, and they can take place in a lot of different areas. They're not in any specific area. It's like with UFO sightings, they're there at a certain point. They're just there, and they're gone. But, again, many of them are in daylight, not at night. Many of them very close range. And uh, let me give you an example of when it just happened. This just happened April 6th, so just several weeks ago. This again is up in Fayette County. This was investigated by one of my uh, research associates, Jim Brown, who is a very good high-tech investigator. He's very serious, very scientific-oriented, and he actually uh, has built probably some of the best instrumentation, really high-tech equipment available out there. And uh, he investigated this incident. So this occurred again April 6th, three o'clock in the afternoon, so again, in daylight. So you've got um, a husband and wife out in the country, out in her field, uh, with her wheelbarrow, spreading some mulch around some trees in her yard. And suddenly, they, they, the wife noticed something kind of reflecting in the field about 50 feet away. So she calls to her husband, and he looks up, and they see what they thought at first was a Mylar balloon that was drifting about 10 feet above the fence line. And they said it looked to be about, it was silver and circular, about 2 feet in diameter. So they're watching this thing and thinking, well, it must be some kind of balloon. But as this thing gets closer to them, uh, it gets closer to them, it got very bright white. And uh, it was at this point, uh, it looked as reflecting natural light. Now it appeared to be shining its own bright light.
1: Let's continue with that sighting. Recent indeed. Stan, Gene, Tim, you're in. It's
12: a power cast.
8: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
5: Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD.
4: When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear.
15: What kind of help does the IRS have for identity theft victims?
14: If you suspect you're a victim of tax-related identity theft, go to irs.gov slash identity theft to learn how to prevent potential refund fraud and protect your tax account. At the IRS, combating tax-related identity theft is a top priority, and we are committed to prevention, detection, and assisting victims, and we're working with law enforcement to catch the criminals. For more info, go to irs.gov slash identity theft to learn what the IRS is doing to help protect you.
13: This is Jacques Valet. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal
1: radio. When he gets started, Stan Gordon, he never stops. He's got so much information, it's just like spilling over. Is that fair to say?
3: There's a lot of information here, guys. <laughs> It's just nonstop, and we can't even imagine how much we're not hearing about. This is just the reports that are coming in. Sometimes people wait weeks, months, and years to report something, or if ever. So there's a lot more going on out there than any of us realize.
1: Quick question before you continue with the sighting you were talking about. Do you work with a gentleman named Lon Strickler from time to time?
3: I know Lon quite well from Phantoms and Monsters, yes.
1: Right, he was on the show just a few weeks ago.
3: Yes, one gets a lot of interesting reports. We do uh, communicate. We have for a long, long time. Again, here's another researcher, independently of myself. He receives a lot of reports, and a lot of the strange reports he gets are very similar to what I'm getting, and many other researchers are receiving as well. It's not something just one of us is saying is happening or receiving these kind of reports. It's going on on a widespread scale.
1: Why don't you continue the sighting you were talking about? in our previous segment.
3: Okay, so these people, they see this two-foot diameter, silver, uh, bright object coming very close to them, and as it gets closer, it suddenly explodes. Uh, As it exploded, they saw like a small lightning bolt that shot from the explosion area to the ground. The explosion sounded like a small firecracker followed by a snap like a spark. The spark started a small fire where it struck the ground. The man immediately grabbed a shovel and ran to put the fire out before it spread to the rest of the field. He had the fire out in a couple hits with a shovel. It was then noticed another wisp of smoke coming from the fence line about 100 feet away in the direction where it came came from. He ran down there and put out the fire as well. After that happened, they knew uh, of Jim, who was in their area. They contacted him. He was on the scene within a short time after it happened, Uh, Jim Brown, my associate researcher. He got down to the area. He said, as a search in the area where the object was, Aside from the normal ash from the dry grass that had burned, nothing was there. He said, I checked carefully for any shredded mylar or any other material where the object exploded, but nothing was found, nor was any residue that might be attributed to a firecracker. The only other material present were some rusted sections of barbed wire, which uh, was a remnant of an old fence that used to be there long ago. The neighbor keep cows in that field, and neither witness had any idea what they had experienced. Neither witness had any uh, real deep interest or any other paranormal experiences, but Jim, who, like I said, is a very competent researcher, open-minded but skeptical, he just couldn't understand why there was no type of residue right at that location, and he's there soon after it happened.
2: So it's 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 interesting uh, with these cases and the the apparent electrical nature of of some of these objects, but it's it's not just the UFOs. I mean, I've heard of cases where Bigfoot and some cryptid creatures there also seems to be you know like some kind of electrified uh, field involved, or you know that that's probably put in a little bit you know.
13: Too,
2: too simply, but electricity seems to play a big part in a lot of these sightings.
3: You are correct. And that's something, again, I've been talking about more and more in recent years. Yeah, you know, One of the patterns that I found many, many years ago, probably going back to at least the 70s, was that many low-level, close-range UFO encounters and encounters with Bigfoot and other cryptids often occur in the vicinity of high-energy sources. So, again, we have many sightings around those high-tension power lines, power plants, radio towers, cell phone towers, gas lines, gas wells, railroad tracks, water reservoirs, bodies of water. I've said this many times before. There's no doubt in my mind that there is a energy connection to whatever we're dealing with here. And, yes, there are electromagnetic effects reported with some Bigfoot cases. They are very rare, but they have been reported. And... Uh, so I've had incidents where a Bigfoot walked out in front of a vehicle, and when it did, uh, the the vehicle began to lose power. And uh, as the creature walked away, walked away, the, the power came back on. I remember an incident years ago. Uh, These people riding down a back road, coming down or, or on the road that evening, they had their headlights. I believe the high beams were up, and they said suddenly, this creature, it just suddenly appeared. I mean, they should have been able to see it. It just suddenly appeared out of nowhere on the road. They had to swerve around it to miss hitting it. And as they're right near it, all of a sudden they began to lose power in their vehicle. And this pastor is yelling to the driver, get the gas, get that gas, get out of here. And the more the driver pushed down on the gas, it seemed the car would go slower. And as the car slowly is moving away from the creature, slowly moves away, the further it got away, the more power began to come back on. As it got away from it, the car re- regained power. So yes, those type of things have been reported.
1: Let me ask you a specific here, step. While this was happening, the car losing power, was it revving higher, or was the engine speed evidently slower too?
3: I believe it was the speed of the engine. I have to go look back at the cases, but I believe it was the speed of the engine.
1: Okay. Just wanted to check that. that. Okay, this is kind of different than some of the classic EM cases where the object is in close proximity and the vehicle stops dead in its tracks.
3: Yeah, and, and, well, again... That does happen because sometimes you know the Bigfoot encounters they generally only last seconds. But we have we've had numerous cases over the years, and again, some here in Pennsylvania of objects that hovered uh, quite low. And uh, anyhow, you know they were in they were not that far away from a vehicle that was involved. And as it's hovering there, the the car began to lose power. The headlights begin to dim. The passengers are sitting there watching this object hovering, and uh, and as the, as the object takes off, the headlights come back on, and they were able to get the car going again. So, I mean, those type of things, uh, they've been going on for years and years. And In fact, you, let me yeah. tell you. Okay, so here was an interesting case. During that 73, UFO wave, April 73, this is down um, in Westmore County between Penn and Manor, so it's out in the country, rural area. Uh, On this particular evening, there were a number of reports of individuals in the same general area reporting these large objects very low off the ground. But the one that really fascinated me, I remember going out to interview the person, going down to investigate it, and... uh, It was around 11 o'clock that night. The guy's riding down the road. He's near the the Manor West Penn Power Substation, Power Substation. And um, as he goes around the bend, he sees this large, glowing, motionless object um, across the railroad tracks about 10 feet above the trees. And the the guy pulls over and watches this thing. And the object, um, glowing object, is about 70 to 100 yards uh, from him and not that far from the power station. And the object is similar to a glowing spinning top. He said this thing was about 36 inches deep in diameter. The object was spinning white in a hovering position, lit up the area with a burning white glow. The object appeared to be a solid structure and gave the witness the impression it was a white hot, like molten steel. The bright light of the object was described as similar to a morning snow. At the top of the spinning object was a dome-shaped structure, about the same color as the object. Around the center of the object were two or three rows of square windows which emitted various colors of light. So he's watching this object, and the man said that there was something that was coming out from the object as he watched it. He said it appeared to be a beam of light or possibly some type of rope which extended out about 20 yards from the left si- center of the object. The beam or rope was attached to some type of form. The witness was reluctant to say was the form was human-like, only that it appeared to be a hulk or torso about 8 to 10 feet tall. As he watched, the attachment light and the unknown form suddenly just vanished. He said it was like a string of lights on one circuit all going out when the switch was turned off. Moments after that happened, the spinning object suddenly took off at a high rate of speed towards Harrison City. He was only able to hear—he was able to hear not only a high-pitched sound as the object took off, but also the wind blowing through the trees as the object moved above them. The driver had kept his engine running and his headlights on when exiting the car, while. Watching the object, the car suddenly shut off, and the headlights began to dim as a weak flashlight. As the object departed the area, the man noticed his headlights became very bright. Shaken by his experience, he drove down the road to find a telephone booth, So you know, that was a long time ago, we haven't had those for years, and he called the state police, and the state police connected him to me.
1: So there's so much to talk about that we have asked Stan Gordon to hang around with us for this weekend's episode. Of After the Powercast, which is available to subscribers of the Powercast Plus. Check the Plus for more info. You're in the Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Hey, listeners. The Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: So let's look at that here. In these cases, when the vehicle gets away or when the creature gets away, the vehicles automatically start up again. It's not that the driver goes, oh, okay, now I'll try turning on
16: the ignition.
3: As far as I can recall, they all started up again on their own, went back to full functioning.
1: Now, you know, a lot of cars these days don't use traditional ignition switches. They have buttons. You push a button, and the car starts. Right. That's an interesting question, too. Do you find this happening more in older vehicles, or does it matter?
3: Well, again, we haven't had that many recent cases like this, but we did have more of them back in past years. So, again, we'll have to wait and see. There was an incident, and I'd have to look this up. However, it was a Bigfoot incident that happened last year. Eric Altman, the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, investigated the case. I'd have to uh, see if I can find uh, something on it. I may have a record over here. probably do. But it was not a malfunction of the power of the vehicle, but there was our electronic interference inside of the vehicle with some of the functions. That was kind of interesting. So that was an interesting case. And I'll tell you what, there's another case that was um, pretty interesting, and I have, it was a long report, so you would have to give me a couple minutes. I might be able to find some of the details of that case. This was a, uh, a low-level UFO sighting that had taken place uh, up on the Chestnut Ridge, which we had talked about earlier, again, uh, many, many sightings up on the ridge, but, again, many other sightings in other areas as well. But the case I'm talking about, this occurred on the Youngstown side of the Chestnut Ridge, so it's outside of Latrobe, which, again, very active areas, and the other side of Derry, which is extremely active year after year with cryptids, UFO incidents. It's amazing. But anyhow, again, this sighting occurred, and this would have been in June of 2019. The people contact me were involved. They were pretty shook up. And anyhow, uh, they're driving down the bay. They had been shopping. They're driving down this back road. The passenger of the vehicle starts yelling to the driver that they see something very strange up in the sky. And uh, it appeared to be a glass tube cylinder among bright lights that seemed to be covered with smoke or haze. And the cylinder looked like it was attached to this large V-shaped object with several rows of different color lights. So the driver pulls over. And he pulls over, and he sees it too, and he was just amazed at what he was seeing. Uh, this thing is um, hovering over the trees, about 60 feet above the trees, and it's in the shape of a V. He said the V-shaped object was made up of numerous small rectangular-shaped white lights, and those lights were glowing but would brighten and dim at times. And he said these, there could have been maybe 50 or more of those lights. The object was about 40 to 50 feet in length. Above the smaller lights were four larger round lights that were strobing orange, blue, red, and green in color. The brightness of those colors appeared pale compared to the smaller rectangular white lights. Those lights seemed to strobe from left to right. There was a larger light though separate that produced a beam of light that was scanning the sky above the object as it's hovering. So the driver lowered the windows... They'll look at the object, and they were amazed as this thing was hovering there. was completely silent. But as the witnesses continued to watch the object, some odd effects took place. The driver stated that it was though the electronic system of his car was having a seizure. (laughs) The radio was off at the time. However, they suddenly began to hear this odd clicking sound inside the vehicle, but they were unable to find out where it was coming from. At the same time, it was noticed that the dash lights were dimming on and off with the beat of the clicking sound. The driver also stated that soon after that, he was having a problem with a cell phone uh, dropping the signal in the area. The observers watched the object for about three minutes then became very upset over very disturbed, and decided they had to get out of there, and they started heading down the road. They said they were in awe. They just couldn't believe what they were seeing or experiencing. So the object was still hovering as they began to drive down the road going about 30 miles an hour. That is when something other strange began to happen. About 30 seconds after they left the location of the sighting, a deer ran out from the woods in front of their car. The driver of the car is an experienced outdoorsman and hunter, and said that the deer looked dazed and confused. It was moments later that another deer did the same thing. Then, just a short distance down the road, a bird hit the car, windshield, and continued on. And as they continued on, something even stranger happened. So, this is really interesting. Listen to this. The driver, who is very familiar with the native animals of Pennsylvania, sees this creature dart out of the woods stops right in front of the vehicle, and stops Stops and stares right at him. He said this creature stopped about seven feet in front of the vehicle. The creature was directly in the headlights. He had a very good look at it. And uh, he said the animal had been declared extirpated in Pennsylvania for, for many, many years. And he's watching this creature, and he can't believe that he. of all the things going on that night, he sees a strange animal. And uh, he said, I know for sure what it was. It was a Wolverine. He said the animal looked directly at the vehicle, was about four feet long, with a tail to snout. It had light brown fur with dark brown spots, with uh, tufts of tan and white hair. It had its mouth open and showed its teeth before running off, so its body was thicker than the... The uh, fissures that have been reported across the area as well. But he was dumbfounded; he couldn't believe that first he sees the UFO and then he sees this animal that's not supposed to exist around here. And he said, um, "All of those animals seem confused and frightened. They are all crossing the road as to evade something that had scared them." And he said, "I was in a state of amazement and what we encountered. I will never forget the strange night that happened." And that's interesting. And about a year later, another fella contacted me out of the blue. He said, I read about that case on your website. I never called anybody, but he said, I know that it was the same night that I saw a similar object only a few miles away on the opposite side of the ridge. It was very, very low, hovering very low over the ground. But he said, I kept my mouth shut until I saw this report.
2: You know, that's really interesting because it makes me think of all the uh, UFO cases where uh, uh, people's dogs, or, or farm animals, are uh, adversely affected by the presence of a UFO.
3: Oh yeah, that's very common, and uh, other animals as well. But the dog reactions are really apparent with the close Bigfoot sightings. That's something that just it stands out for years and years with the cases. I mean, we've had people um, with cases um, where these creatures were very, very close. And even the most ferocious dogs are just, like, paralyzed in fear when they're close to these creatures. They don't bark. They shake. They cower. Sometimes people tell me they just lay there on the ground, their eyes will move around, but they won't make any sound or movement. Uh, sometimes they won't eat right for a day or two later. That's something that's very, very common with these cases.
2: Yeah, in a lot of these cases, the Bigfoot doesn't uh, uh, seem to be... Uh too very well disposed towards the dogs either
3: no you know one thing i noticed i think it may possibly be they do not one of the patterns i found is they do not seem to like loud sounds and it may well be they don't like the barking of dogs that's just a theory i have no way to know that if it's true but that's something i noticed quite uh, a long time ago and uh, you know talking about some of these ufo case and electromagnetic effects uh Probably a, of the historical cases I've worked on, one of my famous, case, uh, favorite cases is one that happened back September third, nineteen eighty-seven. And you know, people for years and years used to say, "How come you only see UFO sightings in rural areas? How come you never see them overpopulated areas?" Well, they've been going on overpopulated for years and years. I've investigated multiple incidents, uh, and some in daylight. Been uh, incidents uh, right in the greater Pittsburgh area. There have been sightings near Philadelphia. There have been sightings on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. I had a sighting over the, the big mall in suburban Pittsburgh over Monroeville years ago in daylight of a huge object right over top of the roof.
1: We'll have a lot more to talk about with Stan Gordon. We'll also mention his new book "Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania," with Gene and with Tim. And with Stan, you're in the the Paracast. Hey listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just fifty a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about...
18: That's 800 509 4492.
5: Are you curious about what might be missing from your diet and supplement choices? Take a free health assessment to identify your possible nutrient deficiencies. As a certified holistic health coach, I will help you assess and prioritize a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. Call Linda at 833 Vital 90. That number to call is 833 833-
18: That's 800-507-3137.
13: GCN's policy is open forum avoiding censorship. Defense costs for words spoken outside of our control supersede the ability to deliver voices to this important talk platform. The First Amendment is the foundation of our core values. Castle culture is silencing voices regardless of perspective. Freedom to speak is in the balance. Support the legitimacy of speech itself. Consider donating to SaveGCN.com. That's SaveGCN.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast... Send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: You were talking there about a case from 1987, Stan, and you kind of segued to other cases. You want to go back to that one?
3: Yeah, this is... um one of my favorite cases, it was, it was very well documented. There was a lot of witnesses involved. This was September 3rd, 1987. This was uh, early evening. This was on major Route Route 30 outside of Greensburg. It was basically right in front of what was in the, uh, the Green Gate Mall area. There were multiple witnesses, including law enforcement. Multiple witnesses that evening of this huge object moving um, into that area. The object approached over Route 30, moving across the high-tension power lines, and uh, was seen as it crossed Route 30 and passed over the West Penn Power substation on the other side of the road. And that was right in the vicinity of the large area of apartment buildings in that area as well. And this object was about 300 feet in length this huge, solid, metallic object that many people saw. People said it looked to be about the length of two Goodyear blimps, about as thick as a blimp, but the elongated construction appeared to be a solid craft with silver or dull gray surface moving about 50 to 60 miles an hour, no sound at all. The object was quite low, about 300 feet off the ground. The entire object had numerous brilliant blinking lights that were white in color, flanked by a bright flashing red light on each end. Uh, observers watch the object as it moved in a smooth, horizontal path across the road. So then you have this huge object that's moving horizontally, and then what stunned the witnesses was this huge object turned vertical in the sky when it was near the power station. And when it did, all the power in the area went out. That caused a lot of interest. But anyhow... The power went out in the mall, power went out in the surrounding area. Behind the mall was an anise, we had the movie theaters, and that power stayed out for a long time. And when the engineers from the power company went to investigate, they found that all three of the master fuses that were located in the feed line had been blown. Apparently it's something that's just unheard of. There was a lot of interest in that particular case, and that's just one of many, many low-level UFO cases I've investigated over the years.
2: From your book, Creepy Cryptids, which is an excellent book, by the way. Thank you. You've got a a number of stories about underwater creatures. I don't think I've heard too much of from your accounts. And I I always find lake creatures, river creatures, whatever you have them, fascinating accounts.
3: Yeah, they've been uh, going on for years and years. There have been a lot of reports here in Pennsylvania of strange things seen under the water, <laughs> quite interesting, that's for sure, You're, but everything from a uh, series of, of things uh, under the water, large objects, you know, I first began to hear about those type of reports back in the 1970s, back in the early 1970s, you'll probably remember this, that's when talk radio just began to get pretty involved, and a lot of states began to pick up talk shows. And here in Pittsburgh, talk radio was a big thing. I was getting calls from a lot of the local stations around Pittsburgh to come in and be a guest on their talk radio shows. And I would go down to one of the big stations in the studio. For quite a long time, they had a show, believe it or not, back in the 70s, that was just focusing on these various events, uh, UFO sightings, Bigfoot. And I, and I remember back in the early 70s that people were, would be calling in and they would tell me about these long, huge, serpentine, snake-like creatures that they would see in the rivers around Pittsburgh. That always fascinated me. But I've heard many reports of very, very weird things. Yeah, there's some really interesting reports in the new book. Just a short one. um, One of the stories was a nice fellow I met, and he gave me the, the account of what had taken place when he is a young fellow and another guy were fishing back in the late 80s on the Monongahela River near Pittsburgh. And it was early morning hours. They were out fishing. They had been there for several hours, and they didn't have any bites. They were packing up their gear when suddenly they said the head of a strange beast came up out of the water about 15 feet away. They said whatever this thing was, the head was all black in color, was about the size of a soccer ball. He said they noticed it had two ears that are kind of... Uh, shaped like a cat ears, and they came to a point, the eyes were black and piercing. The creatures looked directly at the fishermen, moments later dropped back down into the water, then resurfaced a second time, and then the third time, and they could see the shape of this long, dark thing moving under the water as it moved away. So that's just, just an example of some of the weird reports in the book.
2: Of course, not often people describe these things as looking like uh, giant snakes, but uh, the winters in Pennsylvania really just wouldn't be very pleasant for any sort of large reptile.
3: Uh, that's correct. Yeah, and, and again, some of the reports are more reptilian, and some of the other reports are much stranger. And of course, you know we've all heard of Loch Ness, we all heard of Nessie, but more famous here in Pennsylvania, up in Lake Erie, is what they call Bessie. So Bessie reports of going back to, I believe, geez, the 1890s, I believe, and fishermen, sailors up in Lake Erie have reported seeing a a large serpentine type creature up there for, for many, many years. And years ago, I interviewed a fellow who swore that he saw this thing out of the water. That was up on Prescott Beach at this one particular time. And uh, he was so impressed with it, he made a three-dimensional model of what this thing looked like as he got older in life. He said this occurred, I believe it was July of August between 1993 and 1985. He was a young fella riding in his dad's uh, vehicle at the time. And he said he yelled at his dad to slow down because so he could see something so strange animal. And his dad apparently didn't take him seriously at the time and never looked towards the area. And at one point he said he, he got a really good look at this thing. He said this thing was huge, and he said it looked like a plesiosaur, but it was on the beach, lying on the beach. And he said this thing was probably 40, 50 feet in length, but 15 feet high at the shoulders, the skin looked kind of a sky gray on the lower jaw, neck, and belly area. The higher section was bluish charcoal gray. The skin texture looked th- thick and similar to an elephant or a rhino. He said the head seemed to be about three and a half to four feet long from the nose back to the jaw. The body size from the shoulder to the hind quarter was about as large as a four African elephant. The neck, which looked thick, looked to be about fifteen to eighteen feet in length, and the belly was totally off the ground and the The witness saw no legs. It did, however, have flippers like a sea turtle and stood like a sea lion in appearance. The tail was on the ground and covered by high grass. The witness said it was incredible. It was huge. I did get a very good look at it. The witness later learned of another sighting of the creature in the same area. Reportedly involved a fisherman on a bass boat and some other witnesses who saw it from the shore on the same day. He said that the people on the boat observed the head and the long neck rise from the water. They pursued the creature in the boat and described what they saw as a large sea turtle with no shell but a long neck. The water creature was said to have outrun the bass, and uh, that was it. But we hear these stories, and there's a lot of things that go on in the water. And, of course, the other thing in the water that a lot of people don't talk about, even though you're hearing about in recent years from some of the Navy observer reports, is the fact that we have many reports here in Pennsylvania over the years of UFOs entering and exiting from the lakes and rivers of Pennsylvania. And I think that's fascinating as well.
1: We're going to have more fascinating stuff with one and only Stan Gordon. With Gene and Tim, you're in
2: the Pericast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
2: USA Radio News with
10: Kenneth Burns. All of the women, children, and elderly people have been evacuated from the sprawling Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol. That's according to Ukrainian and Russian officials. Hundreds of civilians were trapped for weeks at the plant amid intense Russian attacks. Ukrainian fighters remain holed up in the complex. The Kremlin trying to capture the plant where the last sliver of resistance remains in the southern port city. First Lady Jill Biden says she remains concerned about the next phases of the humanitarian crisis prompted by the war. She made the comments while visiting refugee mothers and their children in Romania. Elsewhere in the conflict, a spokesman for the Ukrainian military says they've regained control of a town about 12 miles northeast of Kharkiv. The spokesman said in a YouTube video that Russia is continuing a full-scale attack in hopes of establishing full control of the Donsk and Luhansk regions. This is USA Radio News. Rick strike crossed the finish line first at the Kentucky Derby. The horse was a long shot and final entry in the 148th annual event, outpacing favorite epicenter. Afghanistan's Taliban rulers have ordered all Afghan women to wear head-to-toe clothing in public. The decree calls for women to only show their eyes, recommending they wear the head-to-toe burqa, evoking similar restrictions to when the Taliban last ruled the country between 1996 and 2001. It's the latest in a series of repressive edicts. The CDC is looking into the deaths of five children linked to the growing number of mysterious pediatric hepatitis cases across the country. The cases, 109 of them in 24 states and Puerto Rico, date back to October. The latest case count is a steep increase from a couple of weeks ago when only 11 cases have been identified. That prompted the CDC to issue an alert for physicians to be on the lookout for such cases. For the fifth straight week, the Dow, NASDAQ, and S&P 500 had a losing week. You're listening to USA Radio News.
7: So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word George and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like.
13: This is me, the Merciless. You are listening
20: to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal
12: radio, exactly according to my plan.
1: I know we can just stop in a thousand places and you'll have a hundred more cases to talk about, Stan. The new book, Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania, with the subtitle Bigfoot, Thunderbirds, Mysteries of the Chestnut Ridge, and more, Casebook 4. Casebook 4, in putting this book together, what factors did you consider?
3: Well, over the years, there's just more and more cases coming in now which suggests, as strange as it sounds, that a lot of what we're dealing with may not be just flesh and blood animals, or something much stranger. They have a physical and a non-physical component to them. Again, for lack of a better term, I'll call them interdimensional. These things suddenly appear. They can look completely physical at times, but in some cases they don't. They can leave physical evidence at times, and then they're just suddenly gone. They seem to come and go. There's some similarities now. If, if you look at the UFO reports, and again, you, you'll hear about some of these details and some of the, the military reports, some of the Navy reports you've been hearing about on the news in the last couple of years, that these objects, even in daylight, they can just suddenly physically appear. At times, they'll be in the hovering in the sky. They look solid, and then suddenly they'll begin to fade away and disappear. Sometimes they'll physically change from one form to another. And then they're gone. And this is has been going on more and more. So you look at some of these UFO cases, and then you look at the Bigfoot cases we've been investigating since the 70s. And again, this is going on more and more in Pennsylvania and around the country. The same kind or similar type of reports. That even though a lot of Bigfoot reports, these creatures look physically solid, sometimes they'll leave the evidence in the area, and that's it, they're gone. But then we have cases of these huge creatures that sometimes look more misty, more foggy. Sometimes they appear to be moving so quickly they appear to be almost floating or gliding over the surface of the road rather than running. Sometimes we've had incidents where part of the body is physically solid, other parts are more out of focus. Sometimes there have been reports going back years ago of, There was not a complete body. that There were sections of the body they could see through. And then, you know, in 73, when all these massive reports began to come in, and, again, we're thinking at first, well, there's some type of unknown animal. Then all these reports come in from widespread areas, witnesses reluctant to tell anybody, but they're frightened. They call the police in a lot of cases, and we get the calls and we go out and interview them and go investigate at the sightings. First of all, one of the things we begin to notice, you get out to some of these areas, you have different ground conditions, different times of the year. You have these trails these large, unusual footprints with a big stride between them. You follow the tracks. But in some cases, those tracks just suddenly abruptly stopped when there should have been more tracks and heavy snow. The same thing was showing up. And, by the way, that's still ongoing in recent years. You know, we're scratching our head. I mean, in my teams, we had, again, we had police officers. We had uh, all type of scientific people. We knew how to look for hoaxes. And were there hoaxes? Yeah, after we got out in the news, you had some footprints that were faked. You could tell them very, very easily compared to the actual footprints. And we made casts of many of the tracks uh, during that time period. Another thing that began to show up, you had witnesses who were really reluctant to even tell you about it, but they swore they're sitting there or standing there looking at this Bigfoot, again, some in daylight, very close, you know, maybe 20, 30 feet away. They're looking at this creature that suddenly physically vanishes and disappears and moments later reappears at another location not far away.
1: I thought of a funny response to that. It doesn't know whether it's coming or going.
3: (laughs) Who knows? Maybe that's the answer. That's the reason I, I, I did this book because a lot of these cases in the book... And I've written about some cases, some cases in other books, but some of the cases in this book are so strange and so unusual, and a lot of them have that element to them that really indicates that we're dealing with something that's just not normal flesh and blood animals. You know, the Black Panther reports that I have a whole chapter on the Black Panther sightings, and we've had more of those last year and already this year. And again, you know, I've been looking into the Black Panther caves for years. They're more of an out of place animal, but they also, I found, have characteristics that are not common to, you know, when we think of Black Panther, we think of uh, jaguars or leopards not common to this part of the world, but they've been seeing them here in Pennsylvania and other areas of the country for years and years where they're not supposed to be. And you never find any missing. You never come up with any bodies. Uh, it's the same type of thing. But I, I found some really interesting things over the years. And, and, of course, one of my favorite cases dealing with a Black Panther, and it was a case um, that convinced me that, once again, some of these incidents are so very, very strange and you know easily explain. The case that I'm talking about occurred uh, back in 1983. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning. And this guy just came back from visiting a friend. It was a very cold morning. And as he pulls into the driveway, his car is overheating. So he, decides, he pulls into the driveway and he opens up the garage door and he grabs a can of antifreeze. So he goes back out and he opens up the hood of the car. He hears his growl. Didn't think much about it. He turns around and there's this large black tomcat about 20 feet away growling at him. Well, I didn't get, that didn't really upset him much because there was cats around the area. So he goes back and he starts putting more antifreeze, up into the, uh, vehicle. And a few seconds later, he hears another growl. But this time, that growl is much louder, more ferocious than when he heard the first time. So he turns around to look. And he just can't believe what he's seeing because that large house cat has now in seconds physically grown about another foot in size. So he throws that empty antifreeze jug at the animal, which he hits it. And he said it made this terrible fierce growl at him and it looked like it was going to attack him. He said it took two or three steps backwards and growled again. And then it started moving up the road outside and it was well lit out there. He could see it really well. He runs into the, into the house, grabs his pistol and he comes out. And when he comes out, this thing is out up on the road, but now it has grown physically to the size of what he would call a black panther like you see in the zoo. It had uh, glowing uh, yellow eyes. There was a staring at him. He took a shot at it. He wasn't sure if he hit it, but moments later, it physically vanished and disappeared right in front of him.
1: You know, before we go into more cases, I want to drop this in here. It's something from Politico. The UFO briefings on Capitol Hill have begun. Lawmakers aren't impressed. This just came out, so you probably haven't seen it. Lawmakers receiving the latest secret briefings on UFOs say national security agencies still aren't taking seriously the reports of highly advanced aircraft of unknown origin violating protected airspace. I'll give you one more paragraph. Members of the Senate Intelligence and Armed Services Committees received classified progress reports in recent weeks on a series of new data collection efforts the Pentagon and spy agencies are now required to pursue to more rigorously investigate reports of UFOs, three people with direct knowledge confirmed. But some leading sponsors of recent legislation want more analysts and surveillance systems dedicated to determining the aircraft's origin and not just more reports of their existence. Stan, how do you take that?
3: Well, again, I'd like to... uh have more data on it, and, and I've been following as much as I can. I'm just so busy with other things going on here in cases that it's hard to keep up with everything. But, uh, you know, what's been going on so far is it's pretty much what I expected would probably happen. I mean, it's good that they are taking the sighting serious now, that they have at least told the public that, yes, there are indeed objects in the sky they could not identify, that they're taking a serious look at it. But, you know, I, I've gone through this whole thing from the Project Blue Book time through other projects, I remember back in the 70s, we had information coming in that uh, there was going to be a a big release, a, a program to begin to condition the public, supposedly, to the existence of UFOs. And then later we heard information was come out, and of course it didn't. And we've heard this over and over again. And personally... I don't think we're going to hear any big uh, exposure of the reality of the UFO mystery anytime soon. It's something that's been going on for years and years. And as I've said many times before, I've always believed the government knows a lot more about whatever these things are than they're telling the public. They do not have the answer themselves.
1: Got more to come with Stan, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
0: more at rockoids.com that's rockoids R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S.com.
4: if you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity this will be the most important message you'll hear this year here's why we now have a small number of solar generators back in stock these emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most
19: Extendivite testimonials on Amazon are very informative. Here's one, Rad. Consistent results when used for heart problems. This product has been a godsend for my father who suffered a heart attack about two years ago. He was prescribed medications for his condition, which was so serious that if he hadn't made it to the hospital in time, he would have died. But he hasn't been able to afford most of the medications. After researching alternatives, he tried extendivite. While taking Extendovite, he has consistently lower blood pressure and experiences less angina. We are currently on our fifth bottle. I enthusiastically recommend this product, and I am grateful that it is available. To get your Extendivite today, go to ExtendoVite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Or call us at 1-877-928-8822. Extend your life with Extend. That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTee.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia
2: and other books.
13: You're listening to the Paracast.
1: And you was mentioning, Stan Gordon, that you think the government has a lot more information. Than they present.
8: Yeah,
3: obviously, them, they're not. They obviously, of-
1: obviously, obviously, they're not giving it to members of Congress.
3: Well, again, I think it's a situation where they probably have a lot of data. They don't understand it themselves. It is so beyond our present scientific understanding. It is so strange and unusual. You know, as I ended my book, and I and I've said it this time and time again, the phenomenon is so strange it protects itself. It is so beyond our capability to understand right now that, you know, nobody knows what they're doing. It, it's a worldwide phenomenon. They're not in control of it, and they just can't come out and say it because they don't understand it themselves. And so... uh I think it's going to be a long time until we have any great exposure uh, to the reality of these events, but I think someday we will. But I think that they're also going to notice, and I think they already have, that there's some association with at least certain types of UAPs or UFOs and some of these other anomalies we're dealing with. I mean, again, the case that I've worked on, the case that no other researchers worked on, these things are showing up more and more. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book, because people need to be aware that, there's things out there that just don't fit into our scientific understanding. I don't understand it. I do not have the answers. If you look in the, in the book, and, and there's a section on the Chestnut Ridge, which we talked about earlier, and that is a strange area. Let me tell you, I've... Over the years, especially in my younger days and my teams, we spend many days and nights exploring those areas and set up equipment back in the early days and investigated multitudes of cases. And there's so many weird things that are going on up there. And it's not just one spot. I mean, that's a large area, but there's certain areas where there's more than normal activity. And if you notice in the book, there's strange physical anomalies that seem to be taking place. And this is something I've been really concentrating on more and more in recent years. Again, it if you read some of the cases from what witnesses are telling us, it's as though during some of these encounters with these various cryptids that the environment seems to be different. It feels different. It looks different. Things suddenly it happened during the time and uh, while their observation is going on. Uh, sometimes they have various types of physical effects from it. And then, again, if you look at the pictures in there, some of the odd things up on the ridge. One of the pictures in there, you see a picture of a, of a large boulder that's in the top of a tree on top of the ridge. There's no places for boulders to come from up, up on top of that area of the ridge. And then you've got another picture in there where I, the people who owned the property years ago called me to come out to investigate this. They had a lot of property on, on top of the section of the ridge. And uh, back in those days, they used to walk their property daily all the time. They knew all their trees, and they called me because it was this one older tree that had been hollowed out probably years before, probably from a lightning strike. And they never thought anything of it. But as they walked by this one particular day, they noticed, and they had not noticed it in the previous days, What was so strange, inside of that older tree is another live tree, roots up, stuck the whole way down inside the older tree. There's no other trees like that in the area. Pretty familiar with uh, weather phenomena and things like that. And we checked all around. There was no indication of any anything I, like a microburst. There was no other trees like that around there. And it's just a very, very strange mystery, as to many others. And I've heard of other incidents that are very odd as well from those areas. And that's an area, again, where you have everything from ghostly apparitions. You have the orbs of light hovering around people's homes, tapping on the windows. Uh, in Some areas coming right up to the windows of people's homes. Uh, Bigfoot sightings, and cryptid encounters, and thunderbird sightings, and underground sounds, and past years, and mystery booms, and it's just a weird, weird place among other areas in Pennsylvania as well.
2: I want to hear about the uh, the underground sounds. Uh, that's uh, uh, that's something that's always been of interest to me.
3: Now there hasn't been anything recently in underground sounds. I, I was hearing reports back in the. Uh, I think it was 60s, early 70s, some people along areas around there that uh, they were hearing sound like machinery and other odd noises like that, but there were far and few between. Let me tell you a little bit about the history, because this is kind of interesting, of how I first heard about the Chestnut Ridge. I believe it was 1969, uh, I had a garnet report. One of the major roads out there, I think it was 119 to 22, so it's only miles away from the areas of the Chestnut Ridge. And people riding along the road that afternoon reported seeing this huge, solid, white, cigar-shaped object right over top of the trees along the highway. And the object was zigzagging downward, like going down steps and going up and down, and finally went down behind the trees. People said it looked like it landed. So they called the state police. Then I got the report, and I got out there right away interviewed the people and searched the area and couldn't find anything. But I spent a few days out there interviewing local residents, the people around there, and some of those residents began to ask me if I had ever heard about the odd things that were happening The people up along, lived up along the ridge. And they would telling me about Bigfoot encounters, UFO sightings, mystery booms, and one person I remember, there wasn't a lot of detail, but somebody had told me back then, they swear they saw like this, the side of the mountain opening up like some type of opening in the side of the ridge up there, back in the back in the 60s, I think it was. So I always found that fascinating, but that's when I first began to hear about the ridge. I found over the years that there were incidents going back years before that, historically, but again, you know, from the 70s on, we've been up in that area investigating reports. It's year after year that we're hearing these cases. And uh, I mean, amazing incidents with, with Bigfoot, with Thunderbirds, with Black Panthers, even the last two years. A lot of sightings of are small orbs low to the ground, low-level UFO sightings. It's just so many weird reports, even men in black reports, with some of the case in the 70s along that area of the ridge.
1: Stan, Stan, why don't I go into the men in black? We always love to hear about the men in black. And that is, you're talking about current cases or just the older ones? Well,
3: again, most of these reports have been older reports. You know, I've worked on thousands and thousands of UFO cases, hundreds of Bigfoot cases and cryptic cases. It's extremely rare to hear these reports of mystery men showing up. It's extremely rare. But have there been such reports? Yes. And, uh... They actually, with the reports that I've investigated, they would go back to actually 1965 with the Kexper case. But then more cases with that 73 Bigfoot UFO outbreak when it became very apparent that uh, something was going on. And uh, it, it was a fascinating time. Um, who were the mystery men were, who? We don't know. Were they government? Maybe. Were they something else? That may be too. We just don't know. Um, I do recall. So we've got to go back many, many years, a lot of memory here during that massive wave of the Bigfoot sightings, which again, back in seventy three when this was all going on, as reports began to come in and more and more people were seeing things and people were getting very shook up, it began to make the news. I mean it made a lot of news in the local papers it was headlines, some of the papers for for uh, days and sometimes weeks. And some of this was picked up, again, by the statewide papers, even the national news. We were out there day and night. I mean, I I had a position back in those days where I had a vacation time. I took two or three weeks of vacation time just to investigate cases full-time. It was just an amazing time to live through And believe me. Had I not been involved, had I not been out there and seen the evidence, had I not interviewed the witnesses myself, it would be very hard for me to believe some of the cases, but believe me. Something happened out there, and a lot of people were affected by it, and it was one of the strangest times in history. And uh, But during that time, and as all these sightings were going on, phone calls, the phone in the house here, the, the hotline was ringing day and night. I mean, it just wouldn't stop. And it was just amazing. One of the calls that came in, I got a call from a fellow who told me he worked for the government, that they were aware of the investigation we were doing on Bigfoot. They were very interested in it. He gave me the name of a contact, the name of a laboratory, an address, a phone number. In the event, we came up with a body or something significant like that. Well, anyhow, as as the days went on, I began to get calls from officials as well. One of the calls was from one of the congressman's office, and they asked if a uh, uh, couple of their people come out and talk with me, which two people from the office came out and uh, came to my office. Well, it's in my home. And they were very interested in the cases. They were very open-minded. I got to know them very well, kept in touch with them for a long time. And I gave them that phone number from the man, and they, and they confirmed it was an internal government phone number. Um, but then other things began to happen. Uh, and, again, from memory, so I may be off a little bit. I believe it was August of 73, out in Derry Township. Lots of Bigfoot sightings going on, and in particular, there was a large mobile home community. And over the weeks, many people in that mobile home community saw a UFO or a Bigfoot or both. A lot of incidents there. So this one particular evening, and again, I believe it was August of 73, uh, my team was down a Little Town of Hermony, PA. The state police had called me to get down to investigate an incident
1: down there. We will talk about that incident in just a moment with Stan and Gene and Tim. You're in.
13: The Paracast. <laughs>
0: Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: As our listeners know, when we have Stan Gordon on the Paracast, we just say go. And he never stops because he has so much information. In fact, Stan Gordon has so much information we couldn't fit it in a single episode of the Paracast. So we've asked him to hang out with us on the After the Powercast podcast. Of course, After the Powercast is an exclusive feature of the Powercast Plus. For more information, by the way, go to theparacast.plus. That's theparacast.plus. Now, we continue with the show. So, you were starting to talk about a case where the police referred the witnesses to you.
3: Yeah, they would get a lot of reports, and they would refer a lot of cases during that time over to my research group to investigate the incidents.
1: So the one you started to talk about, tell us more.
3: All right, so that was, uh, actually, it was August 24th, and um, this guy had just cut his grass in the little town of Harmony, Pennsylvania, out in the country, and um, anyhow, he went in, he had just cut the grass, went in to take a shower, when he when he came out his dog which was tied to a chain was very very upset barking terribly and uh very very upset and as the fellow looks out he sees this huge bigfoot creature about 30 feet away from the dog and the dog was uh trying to get away from it as far as it could and uh, he noticed a strong odor that he said like rotten eggs at the time And with the smell, and of course, as you know, historically, there are many cases where people who are close to these creatures claim they smell this rotten smell. Something like sulfur, rotten eggs, something that's been dead for a long time. But there are also many, many cases when there is no smell whatsoever. And I've had many cases like that being reported. But anyhow, um, so he sees this creature out there, and um, there's also a, a large a chunk of a tree, a big tree branch that had fallen, but there was no reason why it should have fallen, and there was some footprints in the large, uh, large footprints in the fresh grass had just been cut. So he calls the state police uh, and reports that My team goes down, we're out there investigating that case. When I get a call over the, um, the, uh, the civil defense uh, fire radio in my car uh, to contact the uh, dairy police, that they had a Bigfoot incident up in Derry Township, up in the trailer park. So we find our way from Hermony up to the other part of the county, up to Derry Township that night. And the police, local police got on the scene before we did. They found some possible footprints around the mobile home, around the trailer, and they preserved them for us till we got there. Uh, When we arrived on the scene... Uh, it was around this occurred around 11:30 that night here's what we found out so the people were in their mobile home they hear the sound like something scratching on the back end of their mobile home a woman calls her son who also hears the sound they walk back into the bedroom from there they hear a sound coming from outside of there it was like a baby crying sound They verified their cat was inside the trailer. It wasn't from the cat. Suddenly, the electricity began to go on or off in the trailer. They open up the back door, and that's when they see this large, dark creature standing there only a few feet away. The woman screams in fear and sees this thing, and the creature, which was huge, um stood over six feet tall, appeared black in color, was was very husky, and it ran, it twisted and ran between two of the other mobile homes. That other people saw it. She's screaming. Other people come out. There was a strange smell uh, in the air at the time. They said it was something like a sulfur smell. Once a creature ran off, um, they called the police. Uh, see, the son grabbed his gun and went outside to look around. Her dog, uh, was outside, had been tied outside, but they found the dog whimpering, whining, and not barking. She said it was though someone was covering the dog's mouth. That's the way it was, the way the dog responded. When the police arrived, they checked the area, and they found some possible tracks out there. My team arrived on the scene, and, uh, interviewed the people and as we're looking around the area a couple of things one uh, the area behind the residence the scratching sound gave the impression a creature was near the mobile home there had been some large blocks stacked in that area those blocks had been knocked down apparently by the creature but one of the members went over and examined the electrical meter box interesting here he noticed the leads the lead seal on the box had been broken the electric line from the box to the trailer had been pulled right out of the ground and we advised them to contact the power company right away. So that was an interesting case. But here's here's the clincher to the story. And I believe this was, i trying to remember, probably about four days later. So about four days later, uh, I get a call. Back in those days, we had operators. We actually had live operators. Do you remember those days?
1: Well, don't forget, I come from Brooklyn, New York. And I remember that we dialed most everything. Except occasionally for a long-distance call, we didn't have area codes. We had to have the operator do all the work for us, and pay through the nose for it.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, I've been in this part of the country. We had um, we had live operators. So the person involved was trying to get in touch with me, and they couldn't get through because my line was so busy. They had an emergency call for me, and. Um, So anyhow, they called, and the operator broke into my phone call, said, we have an emergency call for you from this person, and I took the call. That happened to be the lady that owned that trailer that night where that happened. She said she had been trying to get in touch with me, and um, she was not able to do that. In the meantime, this man shows up at the scene. And uh, she said to me, she said, I'm, I'm sorry, I think I, I made a big mistake. I think I did something wrong. She said, I was trying to get in touch with you, and I couldn't. And I said, so what happened? She said, well, this man shows up at a mobile home. He said he was an investigator from Ohio. He had some kind of an ID badge, some kind like UFO on it. Uh, he had an Ohio license plate, and he said he was here to... To investigate the uh, the Bigfoot incident, she said he was um, little heavy said wearing a gray work uniform, had brown hair, no glasses, wearing a gray belt with some kind of face on it, and uh, anyhow he wanted to uh, Ask her about the Bigfoot sighting. In the meantime, she told him that she had been trying to get in touch with me, that she found some hair samples out in the area near where the creature had been, and she wanted to get the hair samples to me. And the man um, told her that he knew me, that he would take the samples and would give them to me, which of course we never got them. We have no idea who this guy was. But anyhow, it got better. So while this guy's. Talking to her, she said he's acting very fishy. He said there are other neighbors out there looking over the footprints. One young boy was taking Polaroid pictures of the footprints. Remember those old Polaroid cameras where you put the cartridge in? You got the pictures right away. He had one of those cameras. And he's taking pictures, and as he did, um, the boy said, I just made a picture, and the man uh, basically just grabbed the picture right out of the boy's hand and said, you just made us a picture. And then he wrinkled up the photo in his hand and put in his pocket, and the, and the boy was still there when she was calling me. And the man um, also went over uh, to look for some scratch marks on the trailer, and he goes over to look at the footprints while the people were there, And they said he began to, uh, he destroyed the footprints with his uh, feet. And the man makes his odd statement. It says, it has been destroyed. And the man wrote down measurements of the footprints. Then he left the area. And the people started getting very upset and started yelling at him. And they said, if you don't get out of here, we're going to call the police. And the guy ran off, and they said he almost turned the vehicle over with such a high rate of speed leaving the area. And who that guy was, we have no idea.
2: That's a story, it sounds almost like uh, from some of John Keel's writings. You know, the, the the bizarre individual claiming to be a UFO investigator or government employee, but is obviously neither.
3: Yeah. Well, it gets even better. Um, and if you want me to get into it, I, I know some of your listeners have probably heard this story, but. The, the part I want to tell you about is the strange visitors, but I need to give a little bit of the story of those who are not familiar with
1: the case. I don't want to use a clock on the wall cliche, except I will, because the clock says we've got to split. Let's do our break, and then you can tell us about background of this case, and then we can examine the instances of the strange visitors. My boy Stan Gordon will be back with After the Power Cast for more discussions. With Gene and Stan and Tim, you're in. (laughs) The Pericast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
0: out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S.com.
16: Here's a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they'd be? Answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who have prepared themselves with emergency food storage from my Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with empty store shelves. Is yours? If not, Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for each member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order will ship fast and arrive discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen. This is something you need to jump on now, before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com.
11: Hi, this is Tracy Torme, screenwriter-producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Speaking of strange creatures, some of us Believe that Tim Swartz can be a strange creature because of the nature of the way he presents those stingers. Stan, you were we're going to talk about strange visitors, but you had to tell us first about a story we may already have heard of. Go ahead, please.
15: Well, this was a
3: very famous case. And again, it, it is the case that probably changed my mind about what we were dealing with during the 73 outbreak. And I know it changed the mind of some of the people in my skeptical research group because, you know, I had some very uh, serious people in my group, some very scientific people, and they were out there investigating reports. So some of these people, you know, they weren't sure what was going on. Some were skeptical. But I'm telling you, some of these folks spent Months and years of me out in the field. And as time went on, as they interviewed witnesses, they saw the patterns, they saw the evidence, they began to realize that there were indeed something going on we could not explain. And this case during '73, was the case, among many others, but it was the case that stood out. And it was October twenty fifth, 1973, in a rural area outside of Uniontown in Fayette County, and I'm just going to give you the, the briefer summary of it, because it's a long, long story. If people want, they can go to my, my Solid Invasion book and then read the complete story. Probably one of the strangest cases ever documented. It has many elements to it. So it's about 1030 that night. I get a call from a state trooper from Uniontown Barracks. Uh, he sounded a little shook up, and he said, I just came back from investigating this incident. He said, I think there's something still possibly up on, in the pasture, up on the farm. Can you get a team up here as soon as you can? Well, we did. We assembled a team. It was already late at night. We got our, our team together. We got our, our equipment. We got our radio equipment. Um, we had our uh, radiation survey meters. And, and involved in my group, in fact, was the Westmore County Civil Defense Radiation Defense Officer. We found our way up to Fayette County. So we find out that about 9 o'clock that night, he had about 15 witnesses, I think it was, in a rural area that see this barn-sized red sphere about 100 feet off the ground hovering and beginning to move downward. I always focus the story on the relative of the person. It's the son of the person who owned the farm. So he's coming out to visit the family. He's riding down the farm road. He sees the people standing outside. They're looking at that huge red object in the sky coming down, and he sees it. And um, he ends up going to a neighbor's house where he's got a better view. So it looks like this big object is going to land on his dad's farm. So there were two young boys up at that property, and those two boys and this fellow decide they're going to go over to that field and see what this thing is. So before they get over there, they stop at his dad's farm. He grabs a 30-06 high-powered weapon, handful of ammunition. And then that ammunition, he didn't realize he had two tracer bullets. So anybody hunts out there, if you're familiar with that bullet, you just get that luminous trail when you fire it. Anyhow, as they're riding down that farm road in the direction towards the pasture, the dogs all around the area are just going crazy barking. They hear these high-pitched whining noises and these loud baby-crying sounds. As you get closer to the area the sounds are all getting louder. Anyhow, they're in the truck, they angled the truck with their headlights on so they can see their their way up to the top of the hill. But they also notice that they never noticed it before, something's draining the power from the headlights. They're they're fade, they're fading and they're not as bright as they were when they turned them on. They never had a problem with the Headlights or vehicle or battery before, so anyhow they 're walking up the hill, they get to the top of up top of the pasture, and they 're standing there and they 're looking across and they cannot believe what they 're seeing here 's this huge object now on the ground or right above it, but now it is not a complete sphere it 's a big white dome, so it 's like a half a sphere, bright white at this point, about one hundred feet in diameter, illuminating the area. And they're just standing there in amazement. They can't believe what they're seeing. So they're talking about this thing, and they're watching this thing, and they're trying to figure out what it is. And then they look about 75 uh, feet away, and there's this barbed wire fence. And along that barbed wire fence are these two huge creatures, one behind the other, slowly moving in their direction. The one in front is about 8 feet tall. The one behind is a little smaller, about 7 feet tall. These things are... Upright, covered with long, dark, matted hair hanging off the body. They have no neck. The eyes are about as big as a 50-cent piece, and they're glowing bright green. The arms are so long, they're hanging down below the knees, almost down to the ground. And they're making these loud, baby-crying, whining noises. Well, the one young boy is so frightened, he ran out of the field. And then the other fellow starts yelling at the older fellow, shoot at him, shoot at him. And he takes his shot. He takes his first shot. He fires over their head. The first shot is a tracer. He's just got that luminous trail. He fires the second tracer. And when he does, the largest of the two creatures reaches out as though to grab at the tracer. It makes that loud, whining, crying sound. And the moment it does that, that huge object in the field physically vanishes and disappears it doesn't take off it doesn't rise off the ground it's just gone so the sound is gone most of the luminosity is gone the creatures turn around start walking back along that barbed wire fence back towards the woods and the fellow is now firing live ammo into them mainly aiming at that larger creature which he know he was hitting and he always told me for years and years, he said, after he passed away, until up till he passed away, he uh, always said to me that he said, I'll never forget that thing just staring at me with those glowing green eyes, as a pumping light ammo into it, and appears to be no uh, response from it at all. It's not injured whatsoever, they just keep moving. So the two fellows at that point, they run out of the field, they go get the truck, they go back to the farmhouse, I take the family to a neighbor and call the state police. So the trooper arrives 45 minutes later. I'm here to investigate the report. The witness says, forget about it. You're going to think I'm crazy. And the trooper says, we had a report up on the mountain the night before of two similar creatures. I have to investigate the report. So they go up in the troop car up into the field. They're looking for evidence. And, again, this is all the short part of the story now. It gets more and more. We don't have time to get into the whole story. Anyhow, the trooper tells me the area where the object was on the ground was self-luminescent glowing, about 100 feet or more in diameter. He noticed that the animals would not go anywhere near it. He aimed his flashlight beam into it. He could barely see the beam. He told me, I believe he said that the... The glow extended up about a foot up off the ground. He said if he had a newspaper, he was certain he could read a newspaper from the light coming off the glow. Anyhow, to make the story short, they went back to the state police barracks. I was told both the witness and the trooper were both taken to two separate rooms and then separately interviewed. And then they called me to send up my team. By the time we got there, it was early morning hours. We met the witnesses at another location that took us up to the farm. Um, it was a long-involved investigation. The, the, the well-known uh, psychiatrist, Dr. Berthold Schwartz in New Jersey at the time, spent a week up here investigating the case, went home, convinced these people, all telling the truth. But anyhow, uh, it was an amazing story. When we got to the scene, the area was no longer glowing. The farm animals still would not go near it. The radiation levels were all normal. And it was just a dramatic case with a lot of people involved. There was a lot more to the story. It got stranger and stranger. But here's what I wanted to tell you.
1: Before you tell us, let's do our break. Stan Gordon, with Tim Swartz and Gene Steinberg, you're in...
2: The podcast.
8: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
21: According to the World Gold Council, while demand for gold is surging, 72% of people reply they lack the necessary know-how to do so. Hi, my name's Adam Barada, owner of Advantage Gold, hands down the highest-rated gold dealer in the country. The reason? We lead with education. We've taught millions of investors how to buy gold safely and securely, and our in-depth gold guide explains everything you need to know. From what type of metals to consider, if an IRA or cash transaction is best, and how you can be certain that the gold you're buying is authentic, certified, and real. Call 800-900-8000 now and get our number one rated first-time gold buyer's kit. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the information you need to secure your future. Call 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000 today. USA Radio News with Kenneth
10: Burns. Ukrainian and Russian officials say all women, children, and elderly people have been evacuated from the Avastol steel plant in Mariupol. Hundreds of civilians were trapped for weeks at the sprawling plant amid a tense Russian attack. Ukrainian fighters remained holed up at the complex. The Kremlin is still trying to capture the plant, where the last sliver of resistance remains in the southern port city. Elsewhere, a spokesman for the Ukrainian military says they've regained control of a town about 12 miles northeast of Kharkiv. The spokesman said in a YouTube video that Russia continues to conduct a full-scale attack against Ukraine in hopes of establishing full control of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. First Lady Joe Biden says she remains concerned about the next phases of the humanitarian crisis prompted by the war. She said as much while visiting refugee mothers and their children in Romania. This is USA Radio News. Afghanistan's Taliban rulers have ordered all Afghan women to wear head-to-toe clothing in public. The decree calls for women to only show their eyes and recommends they wear the head-to-toe burqa, evoking similar restrictions to when the Taliban last ruled the country between 1996 and 2001. It's the latest in a series of repressive edicts. The CDC is looking into the deaths of five children linked to the growing number of mysterious pediatric hepatitis cases across the country. The cases, 109 of them in 24 states and Puerto Rico, date back to October. The latest case count is a steep increase from a couple of weeks ago when only 11 cases have been identified. It prompted the CDC to issue an alert for physicians to be on the lookout for such cases. A New York court has halted the use of familial DNA searching where law enforcement agencies searched the state's DNA data bank for close biological relatives of people who left traces of genetic material like crime scenes. You're listening to USA radio news.
2: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast.
11: Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri?
1: So consider the previous segment the introduction. So what's the payoff, Stan?
3: Anyhow, what what happened was that in a follow-up investigation, you know, over the years there was some case that were some cases really outstanding, and I'd like to keep up and made contact with some of the people just to talk to them about, see how their lives changed, how the case may have affected them. But on a a normal follow-up investigation, we went up and interviewed that primary witness. And at the time the incident happened, there were some things going on that were very odd, and Dr. Schwartz, psychiatrist, did not recommend any hypnosis. We didn't have anybody from our group. You know, we had some professionals in the group that could. We never used hypnosis on them. Now, years later, we had considered the possibility of maybe using hypnosis with him. So we were going to approach that witness years later, probably back in the 1980s, about doing that. So anyhow, we get together with him, and we're talking about that case in 73, what happened. And we ask him about the possibility of doing hypnosis. And he looks at us very strange and said, well, why do you want to hypnotize me again? And what my associate and I look at each other and what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, about a week or so after the incident happened, you know, a lot of people came to interview him, and two men came to his home. One was dressed in a dark suit. The other was in an Air Force uniform. He thought they were somehow related to my group. And anyhow, he said they asked him all kind of questions about what happened. He asked for great detail about what the creatures looked like, what the UFO looked like, what happened. And they asked permission if they could hypnotize him. But before this all happened, the Air Force officer had a briefcase with him. He opened up the briefcase. He had photographs of both UFOs and Bigfoot that he wanted the witness to look at. They wanted him to point out any pictures that looked similar to what he saw. And I remember him telling me about one particular Bigfoot picture. It was a Bigfoot climbing over a fence in Georgia with a dead pig under its arm. But he said they did hypnotize him, and when they were done, they thanked him very much. They said they believed he was telling the truth, that they would be in touch with him, that they he they would hear from them again, but, of course, he never did. And we, of course, tried to follow up. We couldn't find anything. Got to remember, 1973, well, Blue Book had already officially closed in 1970, so there were no records of anything, and who they were, we have no idea.
2: Okay, from this account though, it seems pretty obvious that somebody ubiquitous they was was following your investigations very closely.
3: Oh I'm I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was a lot of interest in it. I mean, I had a huge amount of interest from all over the country and I'm sure out of the country during that time period. There was so much going on. I mean, for months and months, it's making national news, the investigations. It's some areas, this near panic situation. Public safety around this area was very, very shook up over what was going on. People were out there with guns trying to shoot these creatures. I mean, it was nasty in some areas, and I mean, uh, it was an amazing time to live through. I mean, we're out there two or three o'clock in the morning investigating these incidents. It was very, very strange stuff. And again, like I said, I never saw Bigfoot, but there were some instances. Uh, one in particular, I was um, called out to a farm. There were a couple farms out in Dairy Township where the people said these creatures went on occasion come back and visit again. So we tried to stake them out, but we were so busy on so many other cases, we just weren't able to spend a lot of time with a lot of these occasions. But this one particular evening, I get a call from the family on this one farm. I told them very credible people. Many people had heard the screams. They had seen strange lights on the property. They had seen Bigfoot at close range. A lot of weird things were going on. They said the creature had just came back again. That it was in the barnyard. So, my team and I, we get out there as soon as we could. When we get there, the dogs aren't making any noise. There's footprints in the barnyard. Uh, let me see, they had a large corn, it was dark, of course. They have a large cornfield, and there was something in the cornfield running away from us, bipedal, very fast, making these very strange asthmatic-like sounds, like very heavy breathing sounds and i chased it through the cornfield and i recorded the sounds as i ran through the cornfield but whatever it was we couldn't catch up to it and uh, so i think i was pretty close to one but i never got to see it that's one of some other instances that happened um, in another case talking about the smell and again very odd situation again this would have been august of 73 i get a call from a from a police officer from Derry And uh, asked me if if I could come down to investigate an incident that uh, two women, a mother and daughter, had contacted the police. They had heard stories about this creature being seen, and they were they were reluctant to tell them. But they had an encounter with something, and they and they had heard rumors that the dairy police that shot and killed the creature. They wanted to take a look at it to see if it was the same thing they saw. Well, of course, that was not a real story. They had not shot and killed a creature. There had been reports of other shootings around there by other people, but that was not what the police were involved in. Anyhow, the police officer had initially gone down to interview the two women. It was it was a very warm night, as I recall, and the mother was in her room, had the window open, the drapes uh, were, the window was open, there were drapes in the window, something awakened her, she turned over, and I believe it was three feet away from her, this creature was stooped down, had opened up the drapes, and was looking directly at her three feet away. And she she saw the face. She could see the skin. She could see the eyes. She could see the mouth. She was horrified. This thing. It had to be over nine feet tall to look in the window. And it moved back very silently away. And a short time later, her daughter started screaming. The other side of the house said she just saw the biggest shadow she had ever seen. And then suddenly this horrific smell, this rotten egg, dead animal smell, just encompassed the area and just came into the house and took over the whole house. And when the officer went down, he said he could smell it. When he called me, it was three days later, I went down right away and interviewed him. And he took me down and I interviewed the witnesses and I could still smell it. I mean, it was a a terrible, rotten, sickly odor. But even three days later, that smell permeated the house.
1: I wanted to ask you quickly about this strange odor, this intense odor. You couldn't use traditional disinfectant sprays to get rid of it?
3: Apparently, and again, it's been years and years ago. I'm sure they tried everything. I know they had the windows open, they had air conditioning, but apparently they couldn't get rid of the smell. It it was permeating the entire house.
1: Of course, I was thinking of Lysol, but... They didn't have Lysol then, did they?
3: I'm really not sure.
1: <laughs> get out the Lysol if your house begins to smell like rotten eggs.
3: Well, you, I'll give you my theory on the smell. Sure. I I think smell again. It's talk about strange things, and there are so many cases we wouldn't even begin to have time to get into. And um, and again, I'll, I'll give you another historical case which fits in somewhat with the theory that the reason there's not always an odor is the fact that this smell is somehow associated with whatever it is that these things can come and go between dimension they come in out of a reality this has something with the process of them appearing and disappearing
1: so if you go from one dimension to another you leave behind an odor
3: well, I'm just saying, I don't have the answers to it. I just think that somehow this odor is somehow associated with their appearances in certain areas.
2: Yeah, because a normal odor, you know, would would dissipate after a couple of days. But this one goes goes on and on and on.
3: Well, I can just tell you, some of the people I've talked to got physically sick from the smell. Over the years some people and again, in a lot of cases there's no odor whatsoever, but in some cases you have this terrific smell, and people have been sickened by it.
1: You now Let folks, let's do Go- our break here. We have one more segment to present with Stan Gordon, author of Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania, but then he'll be back with after the Power cast to continue the discussion where we're absolutely certain to get a fuller picture. Of the weird stuff that's going on. With Stan and Tim and Gene, you're in.
16: The Pericast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
1: Hey, listeners. the Paracast Plus. To learn more about
12: Paracast Plus. Hi, I'm Al Abaroa, founder of Knight Strategic Wealth. Inflation is picking up, markets are volatile, and the dream of a comfortable retirement is harder to attain than ever before. Nobody wants to run out of money in retirement. That's why I'm going to share something that your financial advisor doesn't want you to know. With our investment strategy, when the stock market goes up, you earn a market-linked return that locks in every year. And when the stock market goes down, your investments won't lose a dime. There are no unnecessary fees, and it works for your investments, money at a brokerage firm, or even money at a bank.
15: Americans have the most colorful language in the world. And that vibrant language is our basis for thinking in big ways, new ways, efficient ways, and better ways. Americans have freedom of speech. The pairing of our colorful language and freedom of speech has made us the people and the nation that we are today. Imagine what it would be like not having the freedom to speak our minds, communicate our thoughts and ideas, and Hear those from others. Americans have a passion for and yearn for the truth. There are those who want to destroy our freedom and right to hear the truth. The truth is under attack. GCN is under attack. I'm asking our fellow broadcasters and you to rise up and help us defend our right to free speech. Would you like to join us? Please consider visiting SaveGCN.com. Please help us bring you the truth 24 hours per day. I'm Vincent Finelli.
21: Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to The Paracast.
1: Are we any closer, Stan Gordon, to figuring out what's going on? You've got so many cases here. All we have to do when we have you on the show is say, So what's new? And then we can go away for a week and you're still going. So, with all these cases, oh, yeah. when I mean, are we, we going may- to find out something that takes us towards a solution?
3: You know, the more I know about it, the stranger it is. We're beginning to learn a lot more about some of the different aspects of these mysteries. We're seeing certain similarities in a lot of the reports. But again, It's such a challenge because we're dealing with something that's so unusual, so strange. It's hard for people to accept, which is the reason I understand why it's hard for the government to come out and talk about it because it's so bizarre – And I mean, again, if you even look at what they're talking about with the Skinwalker Ranch, and if you read the book with the Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, if you read that book and you look at some of those details and some of the things we talked about years ago on your show that I talked about from the 70s and since then, they're so unusual, so strange, it's hard for people to try to comprehend it. None of us understand it. It's ongoing. And the more I look into these different anomalies going on, the orbs, the, the certain type of UFOs, the cryptid stuff, the paranormal stuff, I think more and more that a lot of these different things are somehow interconnected, or somehow related. We just do not understand it.
1: What happens is it gets more mysterious all the time. Like we get to level B and it's at level Q by that point.
3: Yeah. I mean, there, again, there are so many cases that indicate we're dealing with something that's just not normal. I mean, Bigfoot case where they just suddenly appear in front of a person's vehicle. They see it from head to toe. They see it walking away, and suddenly it's gone. It was a great case that happened down in the Mon Valley, which is outside of Pittsburgh, just a few years ago. And I got the report on it just a short time after it happened because the witness contacted a relative, and then I was contacted. I interviewed a witness, and I can tell you this guy was—he was extremely emotionally upset. Eric Altman and I from the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society and I, we went down to the scene. The next morning, to interview him at the scene. He was still very, very shook up over what happened. I mean, it was probably one of the most interesting close range Bigfoot encounters ever documented. It was a real dark, rainy night when this happened. He's riding down this back road where there's been a history of sightings for years down those areas. Suddenly, this creature is on the left side of the road has his high beams on, and this thing walks out literally five feet in front of his vehicle and stops right in the middle of the road. And it's looking directly at him with his glowing red eyes. And, I mean, this guy described this thing from head to toe down to the hands of what this thing looked like. And, I mean, he was extremely shook up, and this thing took big steps across the road, went up this little hill. So this fellow grabs his cell phone, he follows this thing behind it, tries to get a picture, and then he said, what happens is, he said, the thing is at least seven foot tall, it's right in front of it in his headlights, and suddenly, as he tries to take a picture, it's not there. It's just gone. He said he couldn't understand how it could possibly move that fast that he couldn't see it anymore. Well, we can think, well, was it just too dark and was out of the beams that had light? But he is certain his eyes are adjusted to the dark. It's right in front of him in his high beams. It's no longer there. And those are the kind of things that keep happening. There's just so many mysteries out there we just can't figure it out
2: we see the same kind of phenomena though with ufo's i mean they'll they'll fly around then just uh, suddenly fade away and vanish or a lot of times when they land and uh, the occupants get out they'll do the same thing you know they'll they'll go from looking solid to just uh, outright disappearing
3: yeah here in pennsylvania there's such a long history of so many weird things it, it's not just the giant bird sightings which by the way we're right now looking into uh, eric altman from the pennsylvania bigfoot society called me i believe it was sunday and we have what appears to be a really good multiple-witness thunderbird sighting in daylight not too far from Greensburg, where I live. We've had other reports in recent months, but in the last few years, we've had some amazing sightings of these huge flying creatures. So we're looking into that as well. But anyhow, and I just lost my turn to the thought. Uh, you talking about, uh, yeah, these things are ongoing. There's all kinds of things. And, again, not just thunderbirds, but we have these floating entity reports. Uh, back in the 60s, there was a lot of reports of, again, large metallic objects low to the ground where people would actually see portholes, and they could see through them. They could see, like, computers and consoles in some of the reports. And there were uh, humanoid sightings being reported and landing reports. You want to hear one of my favorite stories? This is one of my favorite cases from oh back in uh, the
1: 1980s. We're going to have to wrap this in about four minutes before we pick up with after the Paracast. So if you can be brief about it, go ahead.
3: Um, Okay. There's a lot involved, but I'll try to do it very briefly. So this would have been, uh, I'm trying to remember what year, 1968, I believe it was. And um, this was a fellow who had uh, just gotten out of the Navy. So two brothers, the young brother was a great believer in UFOs. The older brother when in the Navy, was a complete non-believer. I mean, they would get into such intense arguments over UFOs, they would get into fistfights about it. So in February of 68, the guy was in the Navy, the brother retires, comes home, he and his new wife, they uh, rent a, a little farmhouse out in the country, which has a little pond. And this one winter day, he happened to look out and see it was snowing; It was supposed to snow. There's this long metallic pole about 20 feet standing outside from his window back. It's attached to this large, huge, solid dome-shaped object with portals in it with a hollow bottom with a big dome on top like a catwalk hovering about 50 feet above the ground, about 50 feet away. He can't believe what he's seeing because he knows all the aircraft we have. He had a high security clearance. He calls his wife. She comes out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What is that thing? While they're watching it, this small little humanoid creature comes out on a catwalk, and then another one comes out to join it. They go outside and looking right at this thing, and one of these little creatures looks directly at them. So it's hovering there. He calls his brother in Greensburg to come out. And he and his wife come out. It takes a while to get there. It starts to snow pretty heavily. The uh, roads are getting icy. And when they get there, the thing's still there, but it's about 100 feet above them. They go down the road, and suddenly the thing shoots off across the sky. It looks like a star going into the heavens, and it's gone. They call the local airport, and they said they had many other reports similar. And that guy, who was a complete non-believer became a believer.
1: I'll tell you what, you did cover it there. Hey, can you tell us your plans for the future, what we can expect from Stan Gordon over the coming year?
3: Again, we didn't even have a chance to cover a lot of recent reports. I mean, in the last few weeks, have been significant UFO sightings, other interesting cases going on. It's nonstop. I mean, the reports come in here by email and by phone continuously. So we get current and past reports. So we'll continue to investigate the reports. Hopefully now with the pandemic, things are finally, hopefully getting better around here. I, I did attend a conference over weekend. I have been invited to speak at many events coming up in next year. So they can go to my website, stangordon.info. They can look at under upcoming events. And I have uh, some cases posted on a the website they can read about. So we're out there. We're, we're involved in a number of different projects. And uh, we're just going to keep going as long as so we can.
1: And again, the book is entitled Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania, Bigfoot, Thunderbirds, Mysteries of the Chestnut Ridge, and more. This is casebook number four. It's a well-printed book here with lots of illustrations, a little over 200 pages, a breezy read, and lots of fascinating information from our friend Stan Gordon. He'll be back, by the way, on After the Powercast with so much more to talk about. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the PowerCast. We have two places to look for us on Facebook. Pick the one you like at Facebook.
3: I just wanted to mention also they can go to the website and they can also contact me, uh, contact information on the website. if They want to reach me and the books are available at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble.
1: You can also check out branded merchandise for PowerCast listeners. Just go to the shop. We have four different logos including... Some from our former co-host Jay Randall Murphy. And pick the ones you like. You can buy one shirt in each style. How about that? Check to the We also offer the Paracast Plus where we offer this show, free of the network ads, the After the Powercast podcast exclusive to Paracast Plus subscribers. For more information, go to the Paracast.plus. And by the way, folks, if you use the coupon code UFO20, that's ufo 20 0 you get a 20% discount on five here and lifetime subscriptions to Powercast. Plus. Stan Gordon, what wealth of information you provide. Thanks for joining us on the Paracast.
3: Thanks for having me on
13: again. We appreciate it.